Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Rob Thrasher with Spotlight on Success, sponsored by LifeandHomes.com. Uh, if anybody gets a chance, go to LifeandHomes.com. Really, an exciting story. We told the story of Dave Lisi and his his family opening up their business a few years ago. They are now officially in franchise mode, selling franchises, and we hope that we're going to have some exciting news by the end of this week about that whole story. Today we're talking about, we're putting a spotlight on book publishing and writing your first novel or your second or third novel. <laughs> the first one is the hardest to get out, but we have a special guest here today, um, John Dudakis, who is a uh, copy editor over there with Wolf Blitzer um, at CNN. And... Um, that sounds like kind of cool anyway. Let's talk a little bit about that, and then uh, what we're going to really talk about is John has some seminars and some teaching uh, kind of scenarios that he sets up and uh, talking about basically publishing your first book. John, you're working on what now? What book number are you working on? Welcome to the show, by the way, John. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Rob. It's good to talk to you again. Um, let's see. The first book came out about five years ago. The second one is a sequel to the first. Uh, it's uh, Mystery Suspense, and that should be coming out shortly uh it's next in line to be uh, edited at the publishers and so now i'm working on uh on book 3 i'm about uh, a little more than 3 quarters done with the uh, with the first draft but um most of my books go through at least 7 drafts and the first one went up to uh 14 drafts so it it takes a while that's a lot of drafts <laughs> <laughs> it's very windy yeah <laughs> yeah that's one of the things we're going to talk about is is kind of um, it's kind of like an evolutionary process. Every novel really is. And, I mean, especially when things are available on the Internet, it seems like just everything is always changing and ever-evolving. And, um, you know, what, I think one of the, the parts we're going to talk about today is, is really almost in a way how writing a novel mimics life in general. And that's that you have to be constantly reinventing, constantly be willing to not only reinvent on your own, but wait for the publisher to come back and say, now you reinvent it this way. Mm. And, it, it can be kind of cumbersome. So let's talk about kind of the, the pros and cons of, of that side of the, um, you know, writing your first novel. And I think generally we're talking about the first novel because that's kind of the hurdle to get over, wouldn't you say? I would say so. Um, usual, I've talked to a lot of people who are aspiring writers, and they, you know, they often will, you know, kind of try out their idea on me. And uh, often it's a situation where it's something that happened to them or someone really close to them, and people have told them, you should write a book. And so they're toying with the possibility, and it's and it's only natural because a lot of writers, probably all writers, write from their own personal experience, or they draw from uh, things that happen to them. But um, a lot of the time I try to encourage people to take that raw stuff and uh, and then try to adapt it and uh, and make it and fictionalize it so that you've got an opportunity then to go into much more depth and sort things out because if you do it as a memoir or as a non-fiction book i think people who aren't trained as journalists um find that it's much more daunting to do it that way when it comes time to try to really track down all of the facts and the nice thing with novel writing is you get to make some of the facts up. And actually, you get to make them all up if you want, and uh, and yet still get down and dirty with the actual, you know, the deeper truth that you're trying to convey. And that, and that boils down to the fact that because when you're when you're quote unquote 
a journalist, the the facts you can't let facts slip by. You can't let things slip through. When you're making it up, it's obviously. I mean, in a way, it sounds easier. In a way, maybe, you know, not even so much because there is, you know, even in making things up, you have to make sure that the facts kind of follow themselves. So. You don't step on a, you know, a particular character you create who has this particular type of personality, and then all of a sudden you got them doing something different that doesn't follow along the facts that you've created yourself. Exactly. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to be a really good liar. You've got to be able to keep track of the consistency of the lie, uh, and that is indeed a tangled web, as opposed right. to the journalism process, which is, you know, it's very straightforward. It's. Uh, it's basically, how do you know this? How did you find this out? And, um, you know, that's what the, you know, the journalist is doing. I mean, the, the old credo is, if, if your mother tells you she loves you, check it out. So, you know, you're, it's always that, you know, trying to nail it down so that you really do know what, what was going on. Uh, it's like truth. There's, there's truth with a capital T. That's sort of the omniscient, um, uh, uh, the reality of it all, but then there's truth with a small t, which is more what daily journalism deals with, and that's sort of truth as a mosaic. It's it's one little bit of the puzzle after another, and each news story uh, helps to contribute to an understanding and a better view of what the bigger picture is. And that's so that's kind of where the underwriting theme is there, where you you say um, I think it's that one you're, it's at your website where you say. You, you, how you stopped? How did you phrase it? How you stopped telling the truth and started making it up or something like that? <laughs> well, the the I, I do a lot of speaking at uh, writers groups and uh, Rotary clubs and 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 the basic uh, topic that I speak on is from journalist to novelist or how I learned to start making it up and it basically traces my career trajectory. I originally was going to go into law and practice with my dad, go into politics, and and then become president, <laughs> uh, which was a pretty megamaniacal uh, view, and I think I wisely uh, diverted into journalism. And so the basic talk uh, shows how I got into journalism, how I got to CNN, and then how that led me to supplement the CNN experience with novel writing. Huh. Awesome. So it, it really is it's just... I mean, like I say, the writing the novel is a, is a is a kind of evolution, and and even how you got to writing that novel was kind of the evolution was kind of took place um, in a similar way, really. It evolves from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, and it's kind of the thing where one door shuts, one door opens. Let me ask you this, because people might want to know about this a little bit. How do you get a gig at CNN? What was it? What led you to to CNN? Because that's kind of cool by itself. Even you know the book writing thing's awesome too, but to talk like a little bit about how you uh, originally got your uh, your deal at CNN and what's it t- kind of tell people like what's it like working at a place like that where you have you know twenty four by seven news kind of a thing. Well, I'd been a reporter for probably twenty years before uh, I went to CNN, and 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 most of those years preceded the existence of CNN. I think if uh, if I were getting out of journalism school now. Uh, CNN may be one of the first places I would try to go to. And, you know, CNN has a great career track where people can come fresh out of school and learn the behind-the-scenes production side. Um, often they then will go back to a smaller market to get more hands-on experience and then uh, and then return. 
Um, in my case, there wasn't a CNN, so I worked in radio for about 10 years, worked in television for another uh, 10 or so, and um, the last stop before CNN was uh, covering the White House for uh, CBN News uh, during the last three years of the Reagan administration, and uh, this was around 1985 to 88, and this was a presidential year, and it so happened that my boss at the time was running for president, which Pat Robertson, which is wow. I know that's uh, that's I don't I don't talk about that a whole lot because uh, frankly uh, things have you know there's a certain degree of stereotyping and there are a certain degree of uh, statements that you know Robertson himself have made that are fairly outrageous or at least awfully controversial. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't quite as uh, over the top as as he might appear to be now, but still, you know, if you're trying to be a straight ahead journalist, and I was able to do that there, um, but then your boss decides to run for president, that changes everything, and uh, you do a lot of praying about you know where's the next step, and the amazing thing, Rob, is that CNN did not consider to me to be damaged goods. Uh, they hired me as a writer and put me in a position uh, where I could do a lot of damage. And uh, I think that is to CNN's credit that they really are uh, open-minded about the, the people that they hire. And even though I came from an organization that had a perceived you know, hard right bent, uh, they were able to differentiate between the editorial page, Robertson, and the news side of the house, which is where I was. And, and so, um, but that lends to their their. That does really lend a lot to to the credibility of an organization if you're willing to look at everybody on both sides of the spectrum. I mean, if you want to tell both sides of the story, that's good that they did that. And as a matter of fact, also to CNN's credit, I've seen them in, in the past. I will not get in, get into the details of any of this, but they have hired people who were considered to be fairly far right in the past. So they do have they do have a mix. They clearly try to have a mix of left and right, which is an awesome thing. So let's move on. How about how about getting tear gas in the face? How what's that like? <laughs> we should put that I question in context. <laughs> let me let me put that in context. That was very okay. early in my career when I was a, a student at the University of Wisconsin in Madison in the late '60s when the Vietnam War was so controversial and. After Kent State, many college campuses literally exploded uh, in in rioting, and I was a uh, a reporter at a campus radio station. It was a volunteer position, and I was uh, uh, with a Red Cross guy, and we were covering uh, one of the riots. Um, and there were we were on uh, the intersection of Charter Street and University Avenue at the heart of the campus. And we were right between the National Guard and the rioters. Uh, it hadn't gotten out of hand yet, but they were, in a sense, marching toward each other. Uh, and uh, this guy and I were right between these two uh, uh, warring factions. The students had rocks. The National Guard had uh, fixed bayonets and tear gas. And the students were throwing rocks at the National Guard, and they were throwing them basically over my head, but some of them were landing kind of close to me. So I decided that I would get to a safer vantage point. So I darted across University Avenue to get away from it. But uh, I think what happened is the National Guard saw me running, 
and oh, no. uh, <laughs> decided, well, there's our guy. Never run. <laughs> <laughs> and so they uh, they shot some tear gas at me, and a, a pepper gas canister went off right over my head. Oh, and uh, I mean, you're you're you go blank there for a minute, and you have this overpowering feeling of uh, of being hot, and your eyes burn, and you can barely breathe, and um, it's right across the street from the pharmacy building. So I went in there, and a couple of other people were affected by the gas, and so we flushed our eyes out. And then I started, right after the, the canister went off, I turned on my tape recorder and started to, uh, uh, you know, report on what had happened. And then the next, uh, and then we put that up on the campus, uh, 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 on the radio station. And then uh, those reports were fed to different radio stations around the state of Wisconsin. And, of course, my parents wake up the next morning hearing me getting tear-gassed, and that began uh, them to say, you know, maybe we should uh, change schools here and bring you back home so we can keep a closer eye on you, which was fine with me. And it was right after I left Madison that the uh, a building was bombed. The Army Math Research Center was bombed, and uh, a researcher, a physicist, was uh, was killed in the blast. And that was uh, a real galvanize. It, 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 I think, took the wind out of the anti-war movement because uh, it was it was basically domestic terrorism, and um, as against the war as many people were, it just didn't right. seem like bombing to stop the bombing made any sense. Yeah, right, right. So that really got me into journalism. <laughs> there was something about getting tear gas that was a real rush. <laughs> So that'll do it. That'll change the career path right there. The it did. It the did. Uh, I had to call, I had to go into that because I never had seen that in the in your uh, the stuff that um, when I was looking at your site, that kind of took me by surprise. I'm like, oh, I have to talk about that. <laughs> um, so, it, um, so let's talk a little more. Let's get a little more into the novels. We're talking more about writing novels here, and um, you had uh, you mentioned. Um, Again, you kind of the start making it up process, and you 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 had had personally some uh, events in your life that if 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 you don't want to talk about it on the air, you don't have to. But I think it's kind of important to how you got into writing the books. There was a couple of events um, that led you into book writing, and you said that you took those events. And when something hits you hard, you take it, and and it's almost easier to tell the story when you're telling it from more of a third party vantage rather than what happened to you. Can you tell us a little bit about the things that kind of spurred you to write your first book? Absolutely, and I, it's personal, but I have no uh, hesitation to talk about it because I think that a lot of uh, traumatic things happen to people and they can draw on that and hope can come out of uh, the tragedy. In my case, there were two um, events that were the genesis for the novel that I wrote. Um, the first was a... Um, a car train collision that I witnessed as a kid uh, when I was about nine years old. I was uh, this is pre Amtrak and the train, the passenger train I was on was rushing through the northern uh, Illinois uh, countryside, going probably 90 miles an hour according to the coroner's inquest, and uh, uh, that which was legal back at that time because the roadbeds were in, in better shape. And I was sitting in the dome car near the front of the train, elevated above everything so I could see ahead of the of the train. And from out of nowhere, and this is the middle of the night, uh, a car comes from the left and crosses right in front of the train. It's like, you know, they never even saw it. And we, of course, hit it, 
killed everybody in the car. Uh, the train did not derail, fortunately, but I'm in this dome car and all the debris is crashing down on the plexiglass. We came to a stop and I was in the, um, I was with my dad and we were in the dining car, uh, waiting for the accident to be cleaned up. And a woman said, well, I live nearby here and, uh, I'll send you a newspaper clipping, you know, once the story comes out. Well, 40 years later, I'm still waiting for the newspaper clipping. By this time, I decided that I wanted to uh, write uh, fiction, and I was doing a writing exercise about an event that had happened in my life, and I was writing the details down factually of what, had, what I had experienced. And as I was writing, I remembered a radio news re- report that was similar to the time of my uh, of the accident that I witnessed. And in that story, uh, it was a pickup truck that had been uh, sideswiped by a train. The driver died, but his infant daughter survived. And I remember beginning to think, what if that baby had grown up and didn't know much about her father and wanted to find out more? And so I began to play what if. Parallel to that uh, was another. And so when I actually started writing the story, the first scene is from another event in in my life, my uh, sister's suicide, which was uh, 30 years ago, and so I wrote about the uh, the experience of you know being with her body as it was uh, it was carbon monoxide poisoning and uh, you know with the EMTs there and and you know you, but but my book is not about her suicide it's not about the the accident that I witnessed but those two events. Uh, gave birth to an exploration, I guess you could say, of those themes, the theme of suicide, the theme of being orphaned, uh, and and then trying to learn more of, about your past and to try to put some coherence, coherency into, into that kind of a story. And then there was another, and I don't allude to this in any of my, my, um, in my website at all, but I first, when I first started writing, I was writing a biography of a friend of mine who'd been murdered a number of years ago. And I'd been doing a lot of research on that. This was nonfiction. And I discovered that it was extremely time consuming. It was getting to be expensive. Uh, I was traveling to do my research. And so, you know, that takes time away from your family. It was uh, the things that I was discovering was causing upheaval in his family. So I backed off from that project and ended up folding a lot of my research into the plot of the book that I eventually wrote. That's probably more than you intended to get it from me, right? Not at all. Too much information? <laughs> no, not at all. You can't, you can't give too much information. I think it's important that people see that kind of thought process and, and understand. I know you, you recommend that, you know, that people kind of steer away. I mean, unless you're a quote-unquote expert journalist, I guess is the way to phrase this. If you're an expert journalist and you deal with in-depth details on a day-to-day basis and that's your job, and um, you know, then you do the, the factual-based stuff. And you are, so not that you weren't, but you kind of have both of those things going on, which is nice. But what you ultimately recommend to people, especially if it's the kind of somebody that's not quote-unquote a professional journalist, that they, they take draw themes from their life or from even history. I know a lot of really good books are written um, based on history. Um, Mm -hmm. My brother-in-law's book is one of them, based on the Loomis Gang of upstate New York. Um, And then he he takes and kind of, you know, 
just runs with the story, like you said, a kind of an exploration of, you know, what if this, what if that, what if this, what if that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot easier, and it, and I say easier, but in in a sense, still, we want to talk a little bit about because we want people to want to write books, but we also want them to understand that it's it's not you don't just sit down and write something. I think one <laughs> one thing, I, as I heard you described it, is when you when you think about something, you think you you think you can explain it well, and then it, it gets down in, into ink, and you and you read it again, and you're like, that's not what I meant. Now, how is that possible? Mm-hmm. Where's the disconnect mm-hmm. between the brain and the hand? That you and I've seen this before, and this is why you edit yourself numerous times, and then your publisher comes back and says, "I don't get this. What are you talking about?" Mm-hmm. And I even see it in brochure writing and things for business. Mm-hmm. You sometimes can't picture how other people will vision something once they're pulled out of, you know, off the paper. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah. You know, that's where I think that comes from. And then, like you say, it, it's uh, uh, I want people to want to want to write the book, but at the same time, you, you want them to understand, you know. And, and I've never have. I'm just saying from drawing from people like yourself. It's a grueling process in a way, uh, but it's a grueling learning process as well. Can you can you tell a little more about like when you're doing your seminars? How what, so? I guess your first recommendation is try to draw from what you know and, and the factual stuff, and then just kind of run with it from there. Right, but I think you need help. I think you need to be more open to the uh, uh, learning from the people who've already gone before you. I just this last weekend I was at a. Uh, speaking at a writers' conference at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, it was uh, it was called the Writers Institute, and there are uh, writing conferences all over the country that are fabulous, that attract agents, they attract publishers, they attract authors, they attract teachers, and they attract readers, and those are invaluable for you know giving you uh, a sense of the business side of it. Uh, that give you uh, some some tips on the finer points of of actually writing. Uh, there are a lot of books out there that helped. Uh, one of them, the one book that was especially helpful for me was a book called The Weekend Novelist. Uh, it's written by a guy named uh, Robert Ray R A Y. It's available on uh, on Amazon.com. You can get it dirt cheap uh, as a used book. But it was invaluable because it taught me. Uh, how to stay organized and how to actually write the book straight through after you've done a lot of the background spade work of getting to know what your story is, who your characters are, um, and then once you write it, uh, how to organize it, uh, how to write it straight through without looking at it critically, just getting you know the idea down. You come away with a sense of accomplishment that you've actually written something, but most of writing is rewriting. Um, once you get it written down, that's just that's sort of a brain dump, I guess you could say. It's sort of uh, you get you know, you've, you've been plumbing your subconscious. Then you get it down there objectively. Objectively, you let it simmer a little bit, come back to it fresh, and then when you read what you've written, often you can see where the problems are, and that's where you can start to mold it and tweak it and buff it and polish it and and make it better. And then there's one more step, and that is that there will come a point where you've made it as good as you can make it, but if you're like me, uh, you've probably still uh, done some things that aren't effective enough. And that's when you need a fresh pair of eyes, an objective pair of eyes, not your mom, not your wife, you know, somebody who is who who will tell you the truth in love. 
and tell you where it's not connecting, where it's not working, what, and maybe even ask questions or make suggestions on how you can improve it. And that kind of feedback is golden. Sure. And, and like you say, so so the whole phase one, is actually step one in phase one, is don't don't bog yourself down trying to make. So don't edit yourself as you go. Get the exactly. Thing out. That's a great that's a great point because you could slow yourself down and you get to page twenty. And you can't get the page right, and then you're stuck, and then you're right, right, exactly. And that, and that, I think, Frank. I think I've talked to, and you probably have too. I've talked to a lot of people who really do have a book, at least one book in them. There's one story that they've been itching to tell, and right. and actually, some of them have sat down and started to write, and they get to about page fifty, and they hit the wall, and they get discouraged. And I'm here to tell you that you can get beyond that. And uh, and I appreciate the opportunity here to uh, you know to, to explore some ways to do that. Sure, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I never really thought of it that way because you could totally get bogged down on the details on page twenty or fifty and mm-hmm. then make finish. Oh, that's a good, good advice. Now, is that kind of one of the things that that you do like in in your like I know you do you do the seminars and you also do um, you have like training training camps you do. You do your own too, right? Do you, you typically do ones that are already set up, or you set up your own? I know you do the editing on the site. Is that do you kind of do the pre-publisher? <laughs> well, you know, this is all a work in progress. I mean, I'm I'm finding out things that about the whole marketing process that you know I've learned just after after I wrote the book and after it came out, and so my um, parallel career to CNN has sort of evolved. You know, so that in addition to writing, um, I've uh, developed, I sort of, I do manuscript editing on the side. You know, people will say, would you take a look at my manuscript? And of course, that's time consuming and time is money. So I'll charge by the page to, you know, really nitpick, give them some specific examples, you know, some specific feedback on punctuation or spelling or uh, unclear writing. But I'll also talk about, you know, the, the logic of the story or the, um, some some things that aren't working or the character development that may be problems. So I'm looking at macro and micro. So that's, that's one thing I do. Um, I do a lot of speaking. That's just basically here's here this is who I am, here's my book, and that's the extent of it. But then that has expanded to uh, teaching, uh, leading writing workshops. Uh, I've done some teaching of, uh, of journalism and of uh, novel writing at at a couple of universities as an adjunct professor, um, but and now the latest thing is some of these writing conferences where I'll lead some workshops on um, you know how to write a novel from getting the idea from the very beginning all the way through getting an agent and then what a lot of people don't cover and that's the marketing side. Once you've written a novel, that's only part of it. Then you've got to go yeah. and sell it, and you really do. The real work starts. Yeah, and then, the, and, then, uh, and then I also talk about editing and, and how you revise, you know, helping people to revise their stuff. So, you know, I've got a lot of irons in the fire, which makes it, you know, really fun. Yeah, multiple revenue streams, right? I'm going to actually take a minute here. Well, I'm not quitting my day job. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, not yet. I just want to tell everybody real quick, we've got a couple minutes left of the live stream, then we're going to go. We're going to continue to record a little bit, so come back later and, and download it. Listen on iTunes, however you want. I just wanted to mention a couple things. If you want to meet John or see what John's up to, you can certainly go to his website, which we'll mention. You can also connect with John in the author's Cyber Village. 
If you just Google authors in the word Cyber Village, you'll find us, authors.cybervillage.com. You connect, connect with John. You connect with a, a lot of published authors and some that are just starting out. It's a, it's a kind of a cool little network that we have, a social network um, that we run over there, and you can meet up with people and talk to them, ask questions, see what's going on, look at announcements, stuff like that. All authors, either aspiring authors or published authors, you can go, you know, you can connect with either either crowd, however you want to do it, get some advice, stuff like that. You can also, um, John, what's your very next um, either engagement, speaking engagement or, or event that you have going on and where is it? Uh, the very next thing that I know of uh, that uh, is the uh, Scribblers Retreat Writers Conference at uh, St. Simon's Island, Georgia. I'll be the uh, keynote speaker there. It's a, um, a two, I think it's a two or three day conference in May. Uh, I, I wish I had the date right in front of me, but uh, it's Scribblers Retreat. Uh, I think and you can probably just Google that or yeah, I think website. so. Pretty, you know, you can, you should be able to find it that way. And the dates are, um, let's see here. It looks like it's um, Thursday, May thirteenth, Friday the fourth, May fourteenth, and Saturday, May fifteenth. Oh, and it goes into Sunday the sixteenth. <laughs> can, now, can they also find that on your post it on your website? Yeah, I've got it on my website. I have a, a Facebook page. Uh, people are, are welcome to friend me there. The last name is Didakis. It's D as in dog E, D as in dog A, K I S. Uh, the first name is John, and uh, you can find me uh, on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm not on there a whole lot, and I'm also on uh, AuthorsDen.com, uh, where I've, I've posted some of my other writing as well. We'll search for John Dedakis in all those places. You can locate you. We've got about seconds left of the live stream. I just want to mention everybody, go to lifeandhomes.com. They're expanding um, into a community near you probably very soon. Uh, again, another cool story. Look up Dave Lisi's story here on this site. And now we are no longer streaming live. <laughs> <laughs> got all that in. <laughs> Good for you. I started, I started in three minutes. And <laughs> I said, boy, I better get going on this part of it. So, and no one was talking in your ear either, so that's uh, that's impressive, Rob. <laughs> All right. So, so now it's the easy part because this doesn't go live and this can be edited. So, <laughs> okay. So let's see. Where were we? I interrupted you. Oh, we were talking about yeah, the multiple kind of things that you're speaking engagements and um, you know. And I just want to stress one thing that you said, and, and I'm going to stress this even more. Um, if you are writing a book, you really need you need a second or third set of eyeballs on this stuff. Um, and the fact of the matter is that even by the time you get to a publisher, you're going to have more eyeballs on it than you want, let's face it, um, and they're going to come back. And what do they do sometimes, John? I mean, do, do they actually sometimes have you rewrite large portions of the whole thing if they want to, if they say, well, if you want us to publish it, you know, this is what you have to do kind of a thing? Uh, and yeah. You for that, right, when you do your editing part? Well, what, uh, I mean, what what I've done is is I've had a lot of people – you know, take a look at it. And of course, I write as a woman. We didn't really get into that, but uh, I write as a woman, so it's really important for me to have women read my uh, drafts and right. give me feedback that's critical to understanding, you know, helping me be true to the female mindset. And so, um, you know, once I get all that feedback and I'm able to write and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite, and my agent happens to be a woman, so and she also is a an editor on the side. So 
um, you know, before it even gets to the publisher, she's got to be happy with it. And so on the second book, there were a couple of times where we went back and forth, and she said, you know, this approach is just not working for me, and you need to find another way to explain this. And so, um, yeah, she sent you, she sent me back to the drawing board a couple of times. And in the first book, in my editing experience with the publisher, um, the publisher really, who also is, you know, there's an editor there as well, you're right, and they didn't want a massive rewrite, but uh, my editor did make some really cogent suggestions on how to throw a little more drama in, a little more suspense. Um, there, were, there were a couple of things he suggested that would uh, smooth things out. So in that case, it was just tweaking as opposed to a major overhaul because, frankly, they, they'd already read it once and they wouldn't have bought the book if uh, they didn't really think that it was almost there. And, and do you find that you you pretty much have? To, I know um, back in the day they would say you would almost you would in order to pitch a book you would typically write a kind of a business plan like a a, a book like model of the book. Would you say that nowadays pe- people don't publishers don't really want that? They want an actual kind of a finished book in order to, to decide if they're going to be the publisher for it. Well, the, the difference is between fiction and nonfiction. With with nonfiction, you can sell a book based on the concept how it's organized, uh, the first three sample chapters, uh, and, you know, give them an idea of how, you know, why you think the book should be written and how, you know, what your research determines as to what kind of interest there would be out there. So you you can save yourself a lot of time and money by being able to sell a nonfiction book based on the concept and the idea. Fiction, on the other hand, you have to have a completed novel. Um, you know, people have great ideas for books, but, you know, the practice has been found that um, often great ideas aren't all that easy to translate into a finished product. Right. And it's it's one thing to have the idea. It's another thing to actually execute it and have it finished. And so, you know, agents won't even bother to, for the most part, won't even bother to look at you until you've actually got something that's done. It may not be perfect yet. It may still need some work. But it's, you've accomplished it, and then that they, when they've got a finished product, then they can work with you. Right. What about uh, pu- what about like publisher versus self-publishing? Now, now I'm I'm not I'm I have no no qualms with any publishers, and I don't want to insult anybody. But I think one of the things that a lot of people think is that oh, I have this publisher, and you know, I guess we won't say names. So let's say oh, I got this pretty big publisher that's going to publish my book. And I think one of the things that they make the mistake of thinking is that this means they're marketing your book for you, that they're really going to be out there selling the book and knocking mm-hmm. on doors. And that couldn't be further from the truth, right? Well, true, but if that's true whether it's self-publishing or if you've got um, an agent who finds you a more traditional publisher. You know, time, the time is happening now where unless <laughs> unless you're a John Grisham and you don't need the promotion, uh, you know, they'll promote him. Uh, you know, in some of the big name authors, but uh, nowadays less and less money at the traditional publishing houses is spent on promotion. It, you really, as the author, need to be the one to promote it, whether or not you're with a traditional house or with, or if you're self-publishing it. Um, the the main difference I think between you know a traditional publisher and self-publishing is the editorial oversight and distribution. 
a traditional publisher will have an editor, in-house editor, and they will they have a vested interest in making it, you know, a good book. Um, self-publishing, you know, they'll take your money, and uh, if you've got a lousy book, they'll put a cover on it. Um, but it will be more and more difficult to get into bookstores because the quality, you know, bookstores know that the quality of the writing isn't necessarily as good. The books aren't returnable often. Uh, distribution is an issue. And so, um, you know, that is going to make it all the more difficult for you. That said, I don't want to say that self-publishing isn't necessarily a valid way to go. Uh, let's say that you have a story about your Aunt Martha who had some, you know, great stories. Um, you know, so people in Seattle may not care about Aunt Martha, but your immediate family will. And it may be worth the investment to come up with, you know, a, a bound hardcover copy that you or softcover copy that you can give away to family and friends as, as gifts. Uh, you, you'll, you'll be able to do that as a self-published book. Uh, you won't have to go through the ordeal of trying to convince somebody in New York that uh, they, that the general pop- population should care about Aunt Martha. Um, uh, so, you know, for a niche market, you know, self-publishing is a, is a good way to go. It's also something to consider as a way of getting noticed by a bigger publisher. Um, so, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to put it down, but I just want to alert people to the fact that that is, it, it's going to be more of a challenge. Um, and I actually considered it as a fallback if, um, no agent had come forward and said, I really like your stuff. You know, to me, it was important that some stranger actually thought I had the chops to do, you know, a novel. Right. Right. So would you, so would you say that? If you have a little bit of money to invest, would you say would you say that the more perfect scenario would be I, you write the book, you take it to somebody like you who has a you know you get the second set of eyes looking at it, you do the editing, somebody pays you to, to do the editing, and then you turn around and because I know there's ways to get your own ISBN, there's ways to get into Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, you write your book, but then you, so if you can market it and get it into Amazon and you know, Amazon has their own little little gigs you can do the way you can market things and mm-hmm. your name up there and built a website for it. I mean, it's going to take longer, I think. The turnaround time to profitability will probably be longer, but you but you keep more of the money than having a traditional publisher. Is right. that how you in – or, in order to make your name, would you say that would be the kind of more – you know, make more sense to do it that way than to, than to even pursue a publisher? Because, I mean, it even takes time to do pitches and do – Try to try to get a publisher. Do you think it would be better to kind of make your own name first? I mean, if you're a self marketer, we'll talk a little bit about that too. Um, you know, that's really a per- on, on the book. Yeah, that's a personal decision, and I think that right. you know that, that there are a lot of options in there, and you don't necessarily need to you know make a decision about that right away. Um, I think that before you even pay anybody to edit your manuscript, you should get feedback from you know just readers friends of yours who like to read and who will tell you the truth you know they'll they'll do that because they love to read and they'll do it for free and um that will uh make your book a lot better uh it wouldn't hurt then to consider investing some money in editing it but maybe before you do that then try to get an agent and um and an agent will make a decision based on your query letter more often than not 
and and that's how they first are able to tell how well you write, how well you tell a story. Because in the case of a query letter, you're telling about yourself, and right. that's a story you know intimately. So, um, you know, if a public, if an agent is interested, they'll maybe want to see the first 50 pages or 30 pages, and again, they'll be able to tell without having to read, having read your entire book. They'll know at a glance within the first few pages. If uh, if this if you know how to hook a reader and how to get people to turn pages, um, right. so yeah, I would suggest that they try. You know, they do go that far first, try to get an agent, and then as a fallback, uh, you know, consider self-publishing. But um, things are so plebeian now, so populist pop, populist based that publishing is much more accessible now to more people because of you know digital technology the internet you know it is possible to uh be more entrepreneurial and in a sense build your brand you know without having to uh wait for uh, uh getting an agent or getting a publisher or something like that so you really now are in a position where you have a lot of options and so i would say keep those options open as you're pursuing your creativity hmm. excellent advice right there and 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 so the now how's the agent work i mean is that something that typically takes you based on a, a commission or some, a cut of the oh well, that's a, that's a very good question and it's one of those big mysteries of publishing the the first rule of thumb you do not pay an agent up front you do not because and if and if anybody says you should run away because then they have absolutely no incentive to try to right. sell your book to a publisher. They've already made their money off you up front. And so, you know, they're just they'll just sit back and no maybe they'll placate you and say, "Well, I'm, you know, pitching it here and pitching it there," but they're probably lying or at least they're not doing doing you any any favors. The reputable agents will make their money when they sell your book to a publisher because then that and they'll try to do it because they have a self-interest. The, the right. profit motive for them is to sell your book to somebody who has the kind of reach that will put your book in, in the hands of readers. Uh, and another reason an agent is worth pursuing directly as opposed to a publisher is that publishers deal with agents and people that they trust. And, the, and they trust the agent to weed through the riffraff so that when an agent comes to them with a manuscript, the publisher knows that it's been vetted already. That if this publisher, that if this agent thinks that this is a good writer, then they will, the publisher will be willing to read that manuscript. If you go directly to a publisher, it'll probably never be read. It'll just never be read. Um, so a, an agent is your, is your gateway to a reputable publisher. Yeah, so they're kind of looking at it like, well, he he was willing to, to take the risk on this guy. Well, that's quite a – actually, that's kind of cool. We start from the beginning. So the very beginning is kind of like writing your cover letter for your resume. If you have typos in that, you're probably lazy. Like, you're dead. You're dead. You know, <laughs> if, you can't, if you can't complete one page without having typos, you know, that that's tells that that's tells the, the agent any, everything they need to know. <laughs> that could be an, a bad omen right there. Exactly. Yeah. So write, so write that. Obviously, write that well. Write the pitch well. Write, write the book well. Have somebody else look at the book. Try to find somebody who, who, who thinks he can sell the book without being paid up front because they lose their incentive. That's like paying for a job. 
you know, you, you get these online ads and the, you're going to work here, you're going to work this. All you got to do is pay $300 to get all of the, the stuff you need. To, mm -hmm. You don't pay people up front, people. Never, 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 never. There you go. So don't pay the agent up front. That's, a, that's great advice. And I didn't even kind of put those two and two together on that. So that's good. So then once you have the agent, the agent can go out and, and pitch people. And then now, now because he's your agent, in a way that even further um, solidifies your kind of makes it real to people because they say, well, this guy's taking a risk because he don't get paid until this guy gets paid. And it just kind of, it should, from that point, if it, if it is a good book, and you still have the other side of the coin where even now, now you got an agent, you got a publisher, you still, and correct me if I'm wrong, you still have to do a lot of self-marketing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I'm fortunate that the publisher that I have uh, Arca Books, A-R-C-H-E Books, all one word, like archetype. Um, uh, Bob Jelinas is the uh, is the editor or the, the publisher, but and he's also an author and he's an entrepreneur, and he equips his uh, authors on marketing techniques and different things that you can do to effectively connect with uh, with people. So, you know, it's been I mean, what just one little thing is he's designed. Um, a bookmark that's got a pic uh, that's got the cover of the book. It's got my picture, and it's got the website of. Uh, it's got a link to the website. And okay, yeah, I, in, I saw that. That's really nice. That that's a really clever idea, right? There. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's golden because in an in an elevator in ten seconds, I can I can give it to someone and say this is your next book. It's mystery suspense. It's about a young woman trying to figure out what to do with her life, and the publisher's website. Has a free sample on uh, online, and my publishers posted the first fifty pages, which is just enough to get you hooked. Yeah, good. That's cool. So, so a good publisher will at least, at the very least, will will coach you or educate you on on ways to to market it. And not now that now the publisher came up with the, the bookmark, or they just kind yeah of yeah he designed the bookmark and. Uh, um, and uh, and and but I mean I I download it and uh, take it to you know Kinkos or Staples and they'll you know they'll produce them so I'm I'm still paying for <clears throat> you know producing as many as I want but it's right. you know that's advertising and that's uh, that's money well spent advertising um, um, but yes you definitely have to promote yourself and that actually is worth. Uh, discussing just briefly because most writers, most many people, I think, are basically shy. And believe it or not, I am too. Uh, it's very, it's it, the, the fear of rejection is something that is almost a universal um, concern that people have, and that is why they're reluctant to approach anybody about saying, you know, I think you'd like this book or something. Uh, and there are ways that you can do that in a way that's not offensive to someone else, that's part of an, a logical extension of whatever conversation you happen to be in. And, um, I mean, I'm not, I don't believe I'm a hard-sell kind of person, but I am a connector. I really, you know, I like to connect with people, and I like to get to know them, but if they're interested in getting to know me, then my book is really, in many ways, a natural extension of that. And so marketing for an author is just completing the circuit in the process of connecting with a reader or a yeah, potential reader in this case. 
Yeah, because you know what? Anybody who's who kind of goes into, like, if you go into sales mode or into marketing mode, it's kind of obvious you're doing it, especially if you're not an expert at it. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're saying is kind of work it into a discussion is, is a whole different ball of a whole different thing. Exactly. Talking, about, talking with somebody about who knows what, and before you know it, you say, oh, yeah, and I'm also an author, and here's where my book is, and you can check it out. Here's the book. The book well, and, and but, you know, here's here's another little tip. You don't you don't necessarily say all that at once. You can just sort of mention, you know, and I've, I've been write, I've written a novel, and then you know that's been taking up a lot of my time. And then you right. put a period there and you stop. And if the person is interested, they'll say you've written a novel, and Tell so they're basically giving you permission then to tell you more about it. But on the other hand, be willing to hear nothing in response. You know, maybe they weren't listening, or maybe they don't care. And you need to be able to respect that because not everyone thinks you're, you know, what, that you, you know, that you're wonderful and, <laughs> and that, you, that they that they want to know about you. So fine, accept that. You know, you're you, you know, it's not always about you. <laughs> right. Right. Wow, that's good. That's really good advice. And, and not for nothing, but this really applies to everything you do, no matter what you're selling. It, it, it there's a, a lot of good strategies and and people. I don't know. People still do the hard sell, but I got to be honest with you. I don't think pe- people that get sold, people that get sold, don't really feel like they're getting value. They feel like they've been sold, which means they feel mm. like they're doing do the favor. And you really have to present things and say, well, you know, w- once you're at the point where they say, tell me more. Now yeah. it's all fair game because they that ask is. you for the. That's right. It's like when people ask for advice, they take it. When you just give advice, they ignore it. Yeah, it's like being a parent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Tell me. laughs> now I'm still a little taken aback that you don't think that the world will be interested in my Aunt Martha Stewart story. Um, <laughs> well, if your aunt, if your aunt is Martha Stewart, <laughs> I'm, I think you might be onto something, but. Uh, um, well, you know that's that's you know if you can write really well and and Martha's got a great story, then uh, you know you might be able to convince someone that this is has a universal theme and is compelling to a lot of people. Just to make a make the point, she's not really my aunt. I just had to. Get <laughs> I don't want her people calling me. <laughs> yeah, really, watch it. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, but I mean that makes a good point too. Is it whose story you're telling, and is it an interesting story? Do people care, and and what are you writing it for? Are you right. writing it because I know guys, people that have written books that they just want their family. It's just for their family. That's right. And then somehow it ends up being interesting to other people, and then who the heck knows? Ten years down the road, if the person becomes a person, a noteworthy person, if you will, mm-hmm. um, you just never know where it goes from there. But I do see that a lot of people that write books, if you enjoy writing them, you know, you can't really push it. You, mm-hmm. you, you can you can you can put it out there, but you really can't push people into doing anything. And and at some point you might have, and it might just be something like topical of the day, like a news story of the day. Maybe you see something on CNN, mm-hmm. and then you go look for things, and all of a sudden you got a bestseller because somebody saw something on CNN that they mm-hmm. found you in Google when they searched for it. Or yeah, yeah. Whatever. There's a lot yeah. of a lot of kind of I think luck and being at the right place at the right time and and that sort of thing as well. You know, which exactly. is what marketing and sales is in general, anyway. So. Right, right. Well, and you know that side of it. Yeah. So, well, I appreciate you coming. I don't know. Do you have Do you have anything else, or uh, are we good? You want to talk about where you're going to be? Your website. Um, anything special coming up? 
Oh, let's see. Nothing other than the Scribbler's Retreat thing. I'm trying to put together a uh, a book tour through uh, uh, the Upper Midwest in October. By then, I'm hoping that uh, the second book will be out. So I, I see myself, uh, you know, going from where I am now in Washington D.C. Uh, to Chicago and uh, Madison, Wisconsin, uh, probably Davenport, Iowa, uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin, where I'm from and uh, probably as far north as uh, Minneapolis. And I'm trying to put things in to- together, you know, along there. So, um, you know, and, 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 and here's one other thought, and, and that is that, uh, you know, somebody who's listening to this might be in a place where they know a number of aspiring writers. And what I'm, what I'm hoping to be able to do more of is, let's say, a one-day writer's workshop where, you know, we discuss the creative process, similar to, you know, what you and I have been doing now, but in more detail, you know, right. where there are writing exercises, where we discuss, you know, the whole concept of how to write a novel. And, um, you know, if, 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 if you're in a community anywhere in the country, really, uh, and you'd like to bring me out to, uh, to try to lead one of those conferences, then you should get a hold of me through, uh, you know, Rob's website, uh, the Cyber Village, or any of the other uh, uh, number of ways of doing it, and get in touch with me, and, and we'll see if we can work out a way that that can happen. Very good. Awesome. Well, once again, uh, it was awesome having you. You're a great guest, and I thank you for coming. And um, everybody, yeah, every, everybody that's listening, anyone that hears this or reads about it, I'll, I'll, I'll mention the workshops as well in the uh, – in the print, uh, you know, copy, and um, I love that idea. I love to have one up here, up in upstate New York as well, and see who's interested in that. I know um, um, the Rotary loves having you speak uh, here in upstate New York. Uh, Rotary clubs are fun. They're a lot of fun. They're they're uh, they're a lively bunch, and they're you know tuned in to current events, and they're they're interested in uh, in that. So I, I always like talking to service groups like Rotary or independent living facilities and places like right. that. Awesome. Well, thanks again, John. I'm glad you came. It was nice having you, and um, we'll have to do this again sometime soon. I appreciate your time. Definitely, Rob. It's always good talking to you. Thanks. All right. Thanks, John. Take care. You Everybody, too. don't forget you can connect with John and other authors at the Author Cyber Village. That's authors and the word Cyber Village, two different words. Just Google it or go to authors.cybervillage.com. And once again, I want to encourage everybody to look into lifeandhomes.com. That is growing rapidly. It was something that was launched in a kind of a rural small community in upstate New York. It's a great story and if you're interested in uh, uh, life and homes or maybe owning a, a franchise in your community, you can contact them and they will connect you with the agency that's handling all the franchise stuff. Lifeandhomes.com. This is Rob Thrasher with Spotlight on Success. Thanks everybody for listening. Have a great day.